Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, Pastor Andy Rock preaches a sermon from James chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, titled, Perseverance, Wisdom, and Life. Be blessed by preserving your faith in Jesus. Share with your children and grandchildren the strength of holding on to Him amidst life's storms. Teach them about resilience, how you rise after making mistakes, and continue to cling to Jesus. Reflect on the contrasting experiences of living a life on the fence versus the life of faith. As you speak and hold on to Jesus, you will receive the crown of life. Trust Jesus today, seek wisdom, and embrace His love. If you are new or visiting with us this morning, welcome. Uh, we have a crazy, this has been a crazy, beautiful season in our church. Our, our pastor, Paul uh, Dugan, who is our associate pastor for the last six years, five years, 10 years, um, something like that, <laughs> retired. Uh, we had his party last uh, Sunday night, which was just hilarious. We learned all sorts of things about him, like that Paul would regularly pull over to the side of the road when he thought that he saw people who attended the church, but they didn't attend the church. <laughs> And so he would just sit there and say, hi, I'm Paul, and, and people would freak out to his family, would finally say, don't stop the car, um, and away it went. It was a great time. But if you were new or visiting with our church, uh, I want to let you know what we believe and who we are. And the heartbeat of our mission and what we're about, uh, we're a church that's led by a vision, and that vision is based on Isaiah 61, which is... Uh, When Jesus stands up to preach for the very first time in his hometown, he reads this passage, the spirit of the Lord is on me to preach good news to the poor, to set the captives free, that uh, those who are blind might be given sight, that those who are enchained might be unbound. Uh, And the passage goes on from there, and that's the heartbeat of our church. So we believe three things, and we're doing these three things all the time. Number one, there is always hope beyond our brokenness. If you're sitting in here this morning and you don't believe in Jesus yet, welcome. All of us have been in that spot. Uh, That's not a bad place to be. It's just a place that you are. If you're sitting here this morning and you're so full of wounds and so full of doubt and you don't know if God is good or if he's just angry or disappointed with you, welcome. And you're going to hear the truth about how God feels about you. If you are coming in here today and you've just been wrecked by other people's decisions, welcome. We know how you feel. If you're here today and you just feel like I've driven my, my, my life into the wall again and I don't know what to do, welcome. We know exactly how you feel. So if you're looking for a church with perfect people who say perfect religious things, this ain't it. Uh, I'm going to share to you my hot mess this week, not in 1994, okay? So that's, that's how we roll here. So vulnerability, honesty, that's how we avoid the charade and performance of, well, bless your heart. Uh, we're, not, we're not doing that, right? Amen? Amen. So the second thing we believe in is that we're called to have faith in or believe in, but we use a relationship where it means the same, trust in our risen Savior. Uh, I can't make you trust God. Uh, there, has, there will be a point where you not trusting God leads to so much pain that there's no other option. Amen? And we would love for you to avoid that pain and to walk in the invitation of what it looks like to listen to him and to trust him and believe him 
because it's better with him in your life. And he's arisen. He's not just an idea. He's not the force. He's not the disembodied figure of Yoda telling you what to do. He is the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He's alive. He's present right now with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say things today to you. You're going to hear songs today. You're going to sing songs today. And you're going to go, how did they read my text messages? How did they know what I thought at 3 a.m. in the morning? And that's the Holy Spirit in your life working, speaking to you right now because God loves you. And third, we're called to bring restoration right where we are right now. So next week, you're going to hear about all sorts of crazy stories about how we raised all this money just from pocket change, and we gave it away to people that don't go to this church. We do that every other week, and you're going to hear about that. Now, today at the end of the service, we're going to do communion. I'll have instructions for you later because I know that we've changed seats. But if you're watching online, make sure that you have some sort of cracker or juice or bread or liquid or cereal or milk or French toast and ice cream. That all works. Okay? Great. So faith or trust in Jesus is a choice that we make. It is not something that happens to you by accident. It is a choice that we get to make. And so we declare this together as a family every single Sunday, and it's us choosing again to follow and trust Jesus. So if you want to make that choice with me this morning, then let's declare it out loud. And if you're online, shout it out at home. Wake up the people who are sleeping. Are you ready? Here we go. We are disciples who walk intentionally with God. Therefore, I choose to be changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first, and I choose to join Jesus in his resurrection work. Amen? So, can I have permission to speak to your heart of hearts this morning? Good. Um, before we pray, I want to introduce you to the book that we're going to be talking about. For the last couple of weeks, I've been talking about doing the Timmies. That's First and Second Timothy. It's Paul's letter to Timothy, who is an elder in the church in Ephesus. And instead of doing, I, I was praying about it, and Jesus said, don't do the Timmies right now. Do the Timmies later, Andy. Now do the Jimmy. <laughs> so we're going to do the book of James. Why are we going to do the book of James? We're going to do a book of James because the book of James is about having a faith that works, uh, having a faith that functions, not having a faith that earns, not having a faith that performs, not having a faith that pretends, but having a functional faith in your life. What does it look like functionally for me to actually trust Jesus? That's what the book of James is about. It takes the ideas that we see and puts them into action in our life. Just like the idea of love isn't really real until you actually do something because love does. Does that make sense? I can say that I love you, but if I never show up for you, if I never sacrifice for you, if I never put you first, I'm not loving you. I'm just talking. Does that make sense? Faith does, just like love does. So. Who is James? James is the half-brother of Jesus. James' mom is Mary. James' dad is Joseph, right? Uh, and he is one of the early leaders of the church in Jerusalem. When persecution comes to the church and the church is scattered out of Jerusalem, they're going to head north. 
um, all the way, and they're going to head around the Mediterranean. And as they head north around the Mediterranean, James is going to write all of these different churches' letters. And you're going to hear about that, or this letter, as a word of encouragement, but also as a word of trying to strengthen their faith and for them to understand that faith is functional. Faith does things in your life. And James wants us to understand that our faith um, is a relationship with Jesus in real time. Because let's face it, guys, life is hard. And you need to have grit. And you need to have determination to get up after you've been knocked down, to fight after you've been punched in the face by suffering or heartache, to have enough within you to meet the challenges before you. I'm a parent of a teenager. I need all the faith in the world. I'm a parent of two teenagers. I need more than all the faith in the world. So we're about to find out why this is so significant for James. Why is it that trusting Jesus in real time is so significant for James? And we're about to find out why in the very first verse. So let's read Jimmy chapter 1, verse 1. Are you ready? Here we go. Read with me. James, a servant of God. Way back, back. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Okay. Again, it's easy to skip over these verses, but why is this so significant? Because James calls himself right off the bat a servant of God and then claims that his brother Jesus is both Lord, so that's God as well, and also the Savior. Does that make sense? For a Jewish guy to claim that the Messiah is here is big, but to claim that the Messiah is also God in the flesh is even bigger. But James had another hurdle that none of us have to jump, and that is, I grew up with the guy. He was in my family. Can you imagine growing up as James? You join the little, because he's James's, Jesus's younger brother, right? You join the little league team, everyone says, Jesus was amazing. Let's see what you can do. Right? You work with your dad and your brother on carpentry projects, and Jesus is making world-class joinery with inlaid carvings that come to life, and, and, and you can't make a straight cut to save your soul, and your dad just keeps on saying to you, what would Jesus do, James? Hmm? <laughs> what, what, what would he do? Look, just trust and believe him, right? Just do what he does, right? Measure twice, cut once. What are you doing? Right? Obviously, I'm joking here, but can, but can you imagine? Can you imagine? What was it like growing up with Jesus? I mean, he was amazing and remarkable, but you probably didn't at the end of the day thinking, oh, here's God in the flesh. Yeah. And that's why when in the book of Mark, now remember, uh, the book of Mark is Peter's story, okay? So Peter is telling the story. Uh, Mark's just writing it down. When Jesus starts his ministry and is healing people on the Sabbath, in his hometown, he commands on Sunday morning for a, for a guy's like, um, arm from, like, crippled from cerebral palsy or a stroke to be healed, and he is outstretched. And of course, James and his brothers and sisters and the parents are sitting in church while this is happening. And they're like, what? And... And so then all these people start coming to Jesus and like talking to him and asking for prayer. And in and, and Mark, uh, Peter writes this. 
He says, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, read with me. So what changed? Like, how do you go from Jesus needs to take medication to Jesus is my God and resurrected Savior and I am his servant? Like, that's a big thing, right? How do you get there? Well, you need to have an encounter with Jesus as God that is absolutely undeniable. Fully dying on the cross, resurrecting from the dead will do that for you. You need to be humbled as well. You need to have evidence put before you that you cannot dismiss that my life not trusting Jesus is awful and leads to death. And the moment that I just say yes, that it actually leads to life. You have that evidence as well. You need to admit that you're wrong, that your wisdom wasn't complete, that you, what you were holding on to isn't worth holding on to anymore because Jesus is bigger and greater and better and more beautiful than anything you could grasp to satisfy your soul. Someone say, amen, I'm preaching all at once. Now, James goes through all of this, but it doesn't happen all at once. This is something that we don't understand oftentimes. We think faith just gets downloaded into your brain like you're Neo in the Matrix, and all of a sudden you know Kung Fu. It's not that way. It happens over time. Does that make sense? It happens over time because you in real time actually have to choose to trust Jesus with the next thing, and then the next thing, and then the next thing. Does that make sense? So James shares from his experience to strengthen our faith in Jesus that in real time, our trust in Jesus and talking to him and listening to him would work in our life. So James jumps right into the deep end. Are you ready? He he didn't didn't pull no punches. He's just like, here we go. Are you ready? Here it is. This verse is awful. It wrecked me this week. Here we go. Read it with me. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Dang it. Whenever I preach, I don't like verses like these because I know I'm going to get my rear end just kicked all week. But here it is. Verse 3. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I have never in my life thought of heartache or stress or difficulty or when I was so in my head with my derriere in places it shouldn't be. Wait, I didn't say that right. (laughs) With my head in places that it shouldn't be. Anyways, I have never thought that me in those places was like, oh, let's consider this joy, right? Like, sign me up. Right? When I get sick, when people I love are sick or they get hurt, when my life is negatively impacted by another person's free will, I don't think of that as oh, great. So why does James say, consider this joy? Well, because this is a moment in our life where we get to hold on to Jesus or not. And I can tell you that not holding on to Jesus and instead holding on to my own power or pride, or anger, 
or cynicism in order to fix and save the situation or fix and save the person or just be done with it and give up and leave, that that never produces joy. Yeah, pretty sure. Yeah, that's what our insanity says, like Tim's saying, right? Well, I'll just try it again. I'll just try it again. I'll just try it again. Does it work? No, it doesn't. Relying on myself to be my own God, to fix all my own problems, to fix everybody else's problems, only creates more stress, more problems, and it never has worked. I was talking with my friend Debbie this last week who was sick, and I told her, you're going to get better. And she said, you're not Jesus. And I was like, you're right. I'm not. I don't know. Why is it that I operate as though I do know? Why is it that I try to be Jesus? See, holding on to Jesus looks like trusting Jesus with people I care about so that I don't take all the stress of holding all of their hurts and all of their emotions, right? Holding on to Jesus looks like I don't have to fix everybody. I don't have to control every situation. I can invite Jesus into all of those moments and say, Lord, bear the weight of these situations that I desperately want changed. I'm not designed to carry all of that, and neither are you. So what happens when we trust Jesus in the middle of our storms? Well, two things, a couple of things. Number one, we start praying and stop trying to figure it all out. How many of you can predict the future and figure it all out? If you can, let's write a book. We'll make billions, right? So instead of trying to figure it all out, what if we were to actually pray? When we do that, all of a sudden the burden lifts. We stop scurrying about trying to control others, and we start waiting with hope. Not waiting with like, oh, God, you're not going to show up. I have to do it all. But waiting with, God, you got this. God, you're faithful to me. You've been faithful in the past. You're going to be faithful in the present. You're going to be faithful in the future. You know more than I do. You're God. I'm not. I'm going to wait with hope. And when we do, we get steel in our bones. We get strong in our hearts and in our character. We learn to say to ourselves, Jesus is bigger than this. I've seen trouble, and this ain't it. Or I've seen trouble, and this is it, and he's enough for it. Amen? The men's Bible study this week, several of the guys shared about how they're holding on to Jesus during trials. They invite Jesus to go into the room before conversations happen. It's beautiful. They literally get on their face and surrender things to prayer. They yell at God when they're angry and hurt and then listens to God's response and trust what he says. They look at God's past faithfulness and tell this current tornado, you're not bigger than Jesus' love for me. Isn't that beautiful? And what's the result? Wait, wait, go back. What's the result? Verse 4, let perseverance finish its work. That's the result, perseverance. Next slide. So what is perseverance? Perseverance means to persist despite difficulties. The root of perseverance literally means to, read this maybe. All right. Keep on abiding. Abide means just stay, just rest, stop moving, start trusting, start staying. It means holding on to Jesus through the storms and keep on holding on. 
that's abiding and keep on abiding. You're gonna find your strength in him, your hope in him, your purpose in him. Everyone's gonna be stressed out and you're gonna be able to choose joy. What you're going through is gonna be hard. It's not gonna be easy, but you're still gonna have the ability to choose joy in the middle of it all. Everyone is gonna freak out, but you're gonna choose hope. They're gonna go, ah, and you're gonna go, hey, it's gonna be okay. Everyone is gonna be discouraged, but you're gonna be the one who encourages others. Holding on to Jesus and abiding in him, you will become the person God has designed you to be. And then looking back on the trials that have happened and have come into your life, you'll see that you came out the other side stronger, full of life, more faithful, full of hope. And that's why when the next storm comes, you can go, I got this. You can face it with joy. Is it going to hurt? Yeah. Trials, storms, stresses, they're going to hurt. Is it going to break your heart? with the choices that they make and how they treat you and the people that they love. Yeah. Look, trusting Jesus and having faith in him doesn't mean that you are absent or absolved from like the regular hurts of life. Yeah? Hurt happens. But you can either face it, face it with despair or you can face it with hope. You can face it with cynicism or you can face it with joy. Holding on to Jesus helps you make the choice that turns you into a woman or a man of tremendous character and you become a foundation upon which your family is built. Now, what James continues and says next is still rooted being in the servant of Jesus and holding on to Jesus in the middle of storms. Are you ready? Because when you're in the middle of the storm, you're totally disoriented and you're going to scream out, God, what do I do? Or you're going to be like me and try and do what you think you should do and have that fail and then say, let's try that again and then have it fail another time and then say, let's try that again and have it fail another time. Or you could listen to James and do this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. (laughs) Well, shazam, I didn't know that. I did, but I didn't, but I did. Like nobody sees a clear picture of what's happening or what the path forward should be in the middle of the storm. So what do you do? Ask for wisdom. That's why we sing, be thou my vision. Be thou my wisdom. God, you be my wisdom. I don't have it. God who gives generously will give you wisdom. God isn't irritated or mad with you because you don't know what to do. I know your parents were. I know your boss might be. I know your teachers might be. That's not how God works. God is never mad that you don't know the right answer. God's not disappointed that you haven't figured it all out. You're in the middle of a storm. You can't figure anything out. It's dark. It's stormy. You have no vision. All the waves are all around you. You have totally, you're like roping a dope, getting enemies, just beating the snot out of you. Stress is coming. You have no idea what to do. God has so much compassion. He's not irritated with you. He loves you. Just ask for help. 
I know a guy who bought a sailboat and his first order of business was to practice motoring in and out of the harbor because the harbor was kind of tricky. Lots of little jetties, lots of little reefs that you had to follow. There was a map, GPS, he, all, that's what he was doing. He motored in and out of the harbor every single time to make sure that he didn't crash his boat. Confident of his abilities, he invited his wife on the sailboat for the first time and said, baby, let's go sailing. Actually, technically, let's just go motoring, and we're going to go out. And she's like, Are, do you know what you're doing? And he goes, darling, I've practiced enough to know where every rock and reef and danger spot is in this harbor. And at that very moment, a huge crunching sound ground in the sailboat from stem to stern, and his wife stared wide-eyed into her husband's unworried face, and he said, see, babe, that's one of those rocks going by right now. Like going it alone, asking from zero help from God or anyone else doesn't prove you're capable. It just proves you're prideful enough to think you can do it all as you grind your life into the rocks of consequences. Life is a team sport. God wants to give you wisdom. Why don't we ask? Because usually we're blaming God that the storm has come in the first place. We don't want to ask for help and for wisdom from a God that we think is punishing us. Almost everyone I've ever visited in the hospital thinks that they're sick because Jesus is punishing them. Almost everyone I've ever spoken to after tragedy believes that it happened because Jesus is punishing them. Do not forget the gospel. The good news is this. Though you're more broken than you ever wanted to admit, Jesus took all of the punishment you earned and deserve and paid for it on the cross with his very life. When he said it's finished, he meant it. All the punishment is finished. God never, ever, ever punishes you. Jesus took it all and ended it forever. Does that make sense? When the God the Father looks at you with your current list of failures and shortcomings, all God sees is you clothed with everything that Jesus has done on your behalf as your substitute. Washed clean, forgiven, fully adopted into the family, given a heavenly inheritance which starts now and will never end. There's no more punishment for you and me. There are consequences. Not the same thing. Ready? Consequence. Ow. Okay? Not punishment. What goes up must come down. Consequences. Okay? Not punishment. God doesn't suspend gravity on your behalf just because you insist on dropping the same anvil on your foot over and over again. Stop blaming him for your choices. Stop blaming him for other people's choices which affect you. And what do we do? What do we do? If we confuse the two, that God is punishing us versus, oh, these are consequences of other people's behavior or my own behavior or just that I live in a broken world, then what we'll do is that we'll never trust Jesus, we'll never ask for wisdom because you don't trust someone who's punishing you. You don't trust someone who's crushing your life. 
And what we'll do is we'll do the hokey pokey with, the, with, with Jesus. One foot in and one foot out, right? And this leads to disaster. James explains why. Verse 6, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Read with me. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. You put one foot in, you're putting one foot out. You're getting tossed by the wind and everything's messed up. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Why is James so super serious? Why? Because do not doubt the character of Jesus and his immense love for you. Why? Because James did. He thought Jesus was office rocker. Take meds now. And what would happen with James's life? This is what happened to his life. James knows the disaster of going, Jesus is crazy, maybe he's God. No, he's crazy, maybe he's God. I don't know. One foot in, one foot out, one foot in, one foot out, doubting, 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 trusting, doubting, trusting, doubting, trusting, doubting. If you don't believe Jesus is good, you'll assume that he's angry with you when you fail. Then you'll try and dig yourself up out of your own hole. I am not preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. The fact that you're here, I appreciate. You'll then get angry at yourself. You'll feel ashamed. You'll feel worthless. You'll feel hopeless. That's a bad spot to be. Then, when Jesus blesses you, you'll assume it's because you've earned it by being sorry enough by working yourself out of the hole. What's Jesus supposed to do with that? If I, if I bless her, then she's going to assume that it's about her. Oh, no. But I'm not condemning her, but she feels like I am, so she won't ask me for wisdom. But then when I want to bless her because I'm her father and I give her these nice things, but then all of a sudden she thinks, ah, oh, it's about me. Dang, that's a rough spot. You'll assume that you've earned all your blessings. Doubt, next slide, doubt or cynicism or faithlessness inoculates yourself against ever knowing God's immense love for you because on good days you'll assume God likes you and you've earned his favor and on bad days you'll declare that God hates you and you've got to make your way back to his good side. And you can get stuck here for decades or your entire life and it's hell. It's you being tossed around by every storm, every trial, even blessings. You're not stable. You're not grounded. You're not secure in Jesus' love for you. You're scrambling, running, scratching, clawing, desperately trying to earn what you've blessings or to make up for your failures. You think you're safe on this fence between faith and no faith, and the devil owns the fence. Yeah. And you got a fence post up your... <laughs> it's uncomfortable. I lived on the fence for decades. Don't live on the fence. Only thing Jesus can do for you when your life is on the fence, obedience, disobedience, faithlessness, faithfulness, doubt, trust, cynicism, hope, and you live on that fence, the only thing he can do to you is hand you completely over to your decisions. 
and watch you destroy your life until you're so far gone that you know you can do nothing to make up for what you've done. And in that moment of desperation, you cry out for mercy and God will be there every single time until you understand that his mercy and love for you is not about you earning it, but by how how good he is. Amen? Build a life of faith, not doubt. Build a life of confidence in Jesus, not confidence in your cynicism. Build a life of of hope in him, not not trust in your own stupidity. Again, I'm preaching to me. I appreciate you being here this morning. Now, listen carefully to what James says next. Again, everything he says is dependent on you being Jesus' servant, trusting that he loves you and he's good to you no matter what. Verse 9. Ready? Here we go. Let's read. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. These words, exaltation and humiliation, they they look like this. Look, when you are absolutely crushed by life, right, rejoice. Let everyone know how amazing your God is that he would lift you up in the middle of you being crushed. Does that make sense? And if you are rich in blessings, whether they're money or friendships or health or whatever it is, right? What's the danger when you're rich? It's pride. And if in a moment you come and you're humbled, not publicly humiliated, the word here is humbled so that you can understand, oh my gosh, it's about God and not me. God, you just saved me from disaster. Thank you, God. Rejoice. Rejoice. Verse 11. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even when they go about their business. We're uh, on the radar's clearing of history. We're boom. Life is short. In the grand scheme of history, your life is a nanosecond, right? The next generation will remember you. The one after will have heard you. This is in your own family. The next generation in your family will remember you. The next one after that will have heard of you. The next one after that will never think of you. How many of you live daily remembering what your great-grandparents did for you? No one. Bev, one person. Stop. There's this guy named Armand Hammer. He's one of the wealthy, was one of the wealthiest men in America. Um, in the 1980s, he was the guy who could walk into the Kremlin or the White House. Uh, he was a billionaire. Upon his death in 2003, the family discovered there was $40 million left. He had given it all away. Um, Armand's only son was an addict, a rapist, and a degenerate who was cut out of the will. Armand had to actually buy his freedom since he murdered a friend in his house in a drunken rage. Armand's grandson was no better. Armand's uh, great-grandson is the movie star, Army Hammer, um, who continued in his father and great-grandfather's and great-grandfather's sins and is now indicted on rape charges and currently selling timeshares in the Virgin Islands. Wealth and power apart from Jesus will fade and turn into nothing. 
What do you want your generational legacy to be? Ah, I had all the power in the world. I did it all by myself. And then this will happen. Armand Hammer's generational legacy is death, destruction, and ruin of everybody in the family and everybody that they come in contact with. They literally are the plague. Wow. So James says this, and then we're going to land the plane. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, read with me, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love me. Blessed is the one who preserves, perseveres and holds on to Jesus. Blessed is the one who abides and keeps on abiding in Jesus. Blessed is the one who keeps on holding on, knowing that to play the hokey pokey with God just leaves to disaster. Blessed is the one today who tells their children and their grandchildren, my life is a hot mess when I don't trust God. And this is what it looked like this week when I didn't trust God. And this is what it looked this week when I did. Don't pretend that you're perfect to your family. Stop. Tell them, your kids and your grandkids, today, all of the things so that they will see that the life of faith isn't a life of pretending that you're perfect, but it is the grit and the steel in your bones to get back up and keep on holding on to Jesus when you haven't in that moment. And it's the glory of the gospel that the whole time Jesus has been holding on to you, that you're never doing that alone that the Holy Spirit is with you, empowering you, loving you the entire time. What is the crown that you want to give your children and your grandchildren? Do you want that crown to be anger? Do you want that crown to be faithlessness? Do you want that crown to be greed or entitlement? Or do you want that crown to be life? And if your crown right now is not the crown of life, you can change that now, right now, right now. It's so simple. You just hold on to Jesus right now. That's it. You want it? Yeah. Great. I'm going to pray, and then after I'm praying, praying, I'm going to tell you about how communion is going to work, okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we hold on to you. We hold on to you, Jesus, and thank you, Jesus, that you are holding on to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us and that you are with us. Thank you, Jesus, that you have been our substitute on the cross. And God, I pray for every person right here that really doesn't believe this. That maybe if they're watching online, that they've just been on that fence for so long. And I want to invite all of you who've been on that fence or that just have I've just been in that place of cynicism of doubt to say with me, Jesus, I hold on to you today. 
You say it with me, all of us together. Jesus, I hold on to you today. I receive you, Jesus, into my life. I trust you, Jesus. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you that there is no more punishment. What else could we do, Jesus, but then just to sing in response? Sing a louder and louder song in response of just saying, God, you are, you are so good. You are so kind. You are so good to us. So, God, as we come into this place of communion, I pray your Holy Spirit here, especially online with our friends, if they're in a car or if they're at home in their living room or wherever they are, God, that they would just feel your presence right now, Lord Jesus, that you would do a work of healing in them, both here and online, Jesus. We love you, Jesus, and we trust you. And all God's people said? I want to invite our, our deacons forward who are going to be receiving communion. And this is how it's going to work um, because we have a, a different setup as normal. So we have uh, ushers, uh, John and Judy and, and Gail in the back. And what they're going to do is they're going to uh, dismiss these two front sections first, not because they're better than the peanut gallery and the almond gallery. We all, we all, knew, we all know that you nuts are, cra- are, are, are more beautiful. Amen? So the ushers are going to dismiss you by row. Come forward. If you're on this side, you can come be uh, with Sandy and Lori. If you're on this side, you can come be with John and Bev. Um, Come forward. And then when we start singing, because when we start singing, it's going to be quiet at first, but then it's going to launch. And just stand. Let's just give God all the honor and praise today. Amen? Amen? So ushers, will you come? uh, Go ahead. probably do the whole communion thing, right? (laughs) So, no perfect people. Am I even on still? I am. You and I have betrayed him. And his response is to lay down his whole life before you and say, this is my body broken for you. So remember that. There's no part of your brokenness that he rejects. He loves every part of you. Every part. In the same manner, after supper, Jesus takes this third cup, which is a cup of wine in the Seder meal represents that God is going to redeem his people with outstretched arms of judgment. And all our betrayal and all our suffering and all the places of brokenness in our life, we demand blood for them. And so Jesus gives it so that all of our punishment and all the punishment we want other people to suffer, it's now paid for in full by his blood. So we remember this and we take it in today knowing that the moment you commune with your Savior, you are forgiven and accepted and loved all the way, all the way loved 
every part of you loved. Amen? Okay, now. Amen. Oh, may the Lord bless you with steel in your bones and faith in your heart that does not fail. May the Lord bless you and keep you. He'll never leave you. Now lift that cup. You got it? Let's take it together. May the Lord lift up his countenance in you that's his delight in you as you receive the blood of Jesus. There's no more punishment. There's no more sin. Amen? That will separate you from his love. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And may the Lord grant you peace, peace that passes all understanding in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said? God bless you guys. Have a great day. Enjoy the food. Pastor Andy Rock is the senior pastor of Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California, and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 1040 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.